All right, it is New Book of the Bible Day, and you know me, it doesn't come along very often. So let's open up to Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. And let's stand as we hear God's Word. Jonah chapter 1. We're just going to be reading the first three verses of this prophet today. The Word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He headed down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. May God bless this small but important passage today. Please have a seat. Jonah is a book that I think all of us know or we think we know very well. It seems to be a book that if I poll people, say what books of the Bible do you generally like from the Old Testament, Jonah gets brought up an awful lot. We like Jonah. I think that for a lot of us it's because when we were brought up in the church as kids, Jonah was always one of those stories we would see faithful Sunday school teachers tell us on felt board. There was not a felt board in the country that did not have a big blue whale on it somewhere at some point. And as kids, we also got coloring books. And we always you know, had this image of Jonah. If we knew nothing else, we knew that at some point in the Bible, there was a guy who got eaten by a fish. And that was, that's how we know this story. So we like it. We also like it because some of us just really like short books. And this is very, very short. But the problem is that we think we know Jonah, but we don't. We think we know it because we've heard this, a simplified version of it when we were younger. We heard it in Sunday school. We think we know it because we've heard it so often. But we may not actually know Jonah as well as we think. That's where the groundwork I want to lay for this series as we go through this book. Is I want to ask you to just kind of set aside a little bit of your preconceptions because they may be based on just a very superficial understanding of this book. Jonah is a weird book. It's a very strange book. It starts abruptly. It starts without much of, uh, much of background at all. It features a whole lot of twists and turns. And it ends on a cliffhanger. That's weird. It's a narrative that's designed to really stir our emotions. It really gets things going. It raises a lot of thought-provoking questions and then doesn't answer those questions, or many of them at least. But at the core of Jonah, when we really examine it, we see the shape and the size of the gospel. That's really what's at the center of Jonah, is the gospel. In John 5, Jesus pointed to all of the prophetic works of the Old Testament, including the book of Jonah, and he said, these are the scriptures that testify about me. So if Jonah testifies about Jesus Christ, we have to go into it asking that question, how does Jonah talk about Jesus? What does this have to say about our Lord and Savior? If Jesus made that claim, then we got investigated that this is a book about Jesus Christ. It's a foreshadowing of the grace and the mercy that Jesus brings. 
So let's get into it. Let's look at these 48 verses. It's just 48 verses, four chapters, and discover the message that God has in store for us. So as we open up the book of Jonah, the very first problem that we encounter is that it starts without much of a prologue at all. We don't get much context. We don't get much background. We're just kind of thrown right into it. In the very first verse, the Lord is abruptly speaking to a man named Jonah. We're not even told right away that he's a prophet. Just a, a guy named Jonah. And we're not given any explanation about who this guy is or when this is taking place. But fortunately, God is good, and he doesn't leave us completely floundering about with this question. Jonah is actually mentioned one other place in the Old Testament. I don't know if you know that. 2 Kings 14. If you have your Bibles, feel free to flip open to 2 Kings 14, because it is the only other place in the Old Testament that we see Jonah. And through this, we get a little bit of that much-needed context to understand this book. 2 Kings 14. We'll start reading in verse 23. Prepare for a lot of names. Here you go. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, he's talking about the king down south, Jeroboam, son of Jehosh, king of Israel up north, became king of Samaria. And he reigned for 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, his father, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Labo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hepper. All right, a lot of names. It's okay. We'll break it down real quick. This really actually does help us immensely to understand where we're coming at when we're going into Jonah. Jonah takes place in the 700s B.C. So we now have a date. It was after the Jewish nation had split into two. After Solomon, the country split into two. Had a bit of a falling out. So we had the northern kingdom of Israel, which is always wicked. Never forget that. Always wicked. Southern kingdom of Judah, which is mostly wicked, occasionally good. So in the northern kingdom of Israel, at this time, was currently being ruled by a guy named Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II, we're told, is an evil king. But we see God even working and speaking to him through Jonah to advise him to expand the boundaries of the country, to grow in greatness. And So you have to ask a question right off the bat. Why would God bless an objectively evil king? Why would God go to an evil king, Jeroboam II, who it says he's, he's wicked through and through. For 41 years, he's ruling over this country as a wicked king. Why would God go and bless this man? Well, you, for the answer to that, you actually have to go further back in time. You have to go a few kings ago. The northern kingdom of Israel had a guy named King Jehu. King Jehu did the bare, absolute minimum of what God requested by kicking out all of the Baal idols and all of the Baal worship from the country. Bare minimum. Didn't actually live according to God's rules, but at least did that. So God came to Jehu and said, because you have done this one thing, I will bless you and the next three kings to come along. Jeroboam II, third king down that line. That's why God is upholding his promise, even as the northern kingdom, even as Jeroboam II 
are not faithfully following God. God is always faithful to uphold his promise. And I find that very encouraging. So this passage also, as we look at the Second Kings passage, also really helps us understand the mindset of Jonah, of who this guy is. He was, as we'll discover as the book of Jonah goes along, an ardent nationalist. He is very proud of his country. He's all about the northern kingdom of Israel. He wants to see it thrive. He wants to see it flourish. And so he's got to be very happy that God has chosen him to go to the king and through Jonah give the king advice to expand the country, to make the country greater. So the boundaries are now pushing out. And it's, it's, the Bible tells us that the people had been suffering for a while and now they're being blessed. And Jonah's got to be very happy about that, that his country is growing. I think that's actually pretty relatable. Each one of us, we're like this in some way or the other. We have our teams. We have our sides that we're very proud of, that we want to see win in some way. So it might be our religion or our hometown or our country or our sports franchise or our ethnicity. We like to see our team make progress and win, and sometimes we narrow our eyes and give a little bit of side eyes at the other team, at whoever's on the other side. We want to see our side win. There's always a a lot of happiness to that. College football fans always like, I've noticed, like to put down all of the other teams, and sometimes they do that by, by telling some jokes, like how is Ohio State like a possum? Well, it plays dead at home and it gets killed out on the road. I heard that a lot when we were in Michigan. Or how many freshman Georgia football players does it take to screw in a light bulb? None, because that's a sophomore level class. We like to put down the other team, is what I'm saying. And we can understand so how Jonah takes pride, even though his country is still messed up. It's not a good country, but he takes pride in his country. And he's really enjoyed serving God in that way because his nation, no matter what, at the end of the day, is still a nation of God's chosen people that are set apart to be holy from the rest of the pagan world. And there's no place Jonah wants to be than right there. It was his team. So Jonah was no doubt very greatly pleased to serve God in this capacity. But now God is asking him in the very first few verses here, to serve as things are growing more difficult for Israel. As Israel itself is on the cusp of failing. It's actually in a few years from then going to be conquered. It's going to be invaded and conquered. If anything, the very first verse here in Jonah 1 marks the point in his life where easy times of service have ended. And now serving in hard times is beginning. This is a big point for Jonah's life. We should not be so shocked when God calls us to serve in difficult times. 1 Peter 4.12, great verse to memorize. We always need to be encouraging each other with this verse. Reminds us, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. Don't be surprised When difficult times come and God asks you to serve in difficult times because it will happen. Perhaps even that time 
is right now when God is asking us to serve Jesus even as things are getting more difficult. We may wish at, t- at those times, as Jonah did, that we were back in the easy days. We were back in the good days. We always have those nostalgia, nostalgia goggles for the good days, right? We don't remember that. It was probably kind of hard back then too. But we must submit to the will of God to serve him through our lives and through history. All right, so one day, God comes to Jonah. He says, Jonah, I've got some more instructions for you. Jonah takes out his pen, licks it, and gets ready. He says, okay, God, I'm ready. I'm listening. Good, God says, here it is. I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh. I want you to preach against it because its wickedness has come up against me. In my mind's eye, as God is telling Jonah to write this down, Jonah's pen stops moving, and he freezes, and he can't believe what he just heard. We need to understand, as we put a little bookmark in right at this moment, we need to understand what the role of a prophet was. A lot of us in the church think that a prophet was merely there that God would give like all these prophetic visions of the future, and that's all prophets ever did. It was actually a very, very small part of what a prophet did. By and large, a prophet's role was to be a lawyer, a lawyer for God, a lawyer to come down. You see, God's always interacted with his people through something called the covenant. And we talk about covenants a lot in Reformed Church. And I hope you get to know what the covenant is. But God always interacts with his people through the covenant, through his plan, which is a sacred agreement that carries with it Mutual responsibilities, blessings, and curses. So God says, I will be your God. I will bless you. I will protect you. I will raise you up to be a people. In return, your responsibility is to obey me, to follow the Ten Commandments. That's part of your side of the bargain. And if you do so, there are blessings. And if you don't do so, there are curses. Well, guess what? Israel did not do most of the Old Testament. It's uphold the covenant. God is faithfully upholding his side of the covenant all the time. Israel, most of the time not. And so when Israel falls away from God, when it fails to uphold the covenant, God would send to them a prophet. And the prophet would be, by and large, a covenant enforcer who would go up primarily to the kings and the leaders of the country and say, you are failing to uphold the covenant. Here is how you are failing to uphold the covenant. You need to repent. You need to turn back to God. Otherwise, there could be penalties coming your way. There will be judgment. You can imagine how popular this made prophets to go up to powerful men and say, you're failing really bad. You need to turn around and get your, get your house in order here. So really, the prophets were lawyers. They were bringing the law to the kings. And it's really shocking here then when we, have that, when we understand that and we look at these first few verses of Jonah that God is now electing to send one of his covenant enforcers out of the covenant community all the way 600 miles away to a foreign nation that has never heard of the covenant. He is sending Jonah there into a pagan land and not just any pagan country but Israel's sworn enemy, Assyria. 
their greatest enemy. They hate Assyria. If, if Israel was a home team, Assyria is the away team. Assyria is one we've always got to clobber. Assyria covers much of what we call modern-day Iraq. It ruled for 250 years. It was a major power in the ancient world. And in that time, it had a reputation as not just being powerful and unstoppable, but also incredibly barbaric. Assyria, you did not want to come and conquer one of your, your towns because those they didn't kill, they put through hell. And I was reading up on this, and I thought about how much I wanted to share with you some of the things I learned this past week about Assyria. I'm not going to share any of it with you, because honestly, it would turn this sermon into a hard R-rated sermon. It is gruesome, the things that they, the generals would dare each other to come up with new tortures to see who could top each other in the atrocities. That's why everybody hated and feared Assyria. It was not just like, noble savages somewhere out there. These were brutal people that Israel had every good reason to hate. And it should go without saying that Assyria, of course, did not worship the Lord. They had their own pantheon of made-up deities that they worshipped. So God has no part in the daily lives of Assyria, and Jonah's being asked now to go there. Well, at first glance, you say, well, you say, Pastor Justin, when I'm reading verse 2 here, it says God's telling Jonah to go and preach against it. That's a good thing, right? Well, no. God's not actually lowering the boom quite as much as we think. You know, say what you will about Jonah, but Jonah, as a prophet, knows the character of the Lord. And we're going to see that as a big thing in this book, that Jonah knows the character of the Lord, and that really rubs him the wrong way at times. And he knows this right here at the beginning, because he knows if God really was upset to the point of wanting to wipe out Assyria, God would just do it. He would just do it. So why is now God sending a covenant enforcer out of the country to go preach against this nation? Why is to leave a door open for possible repentance? And that is a bridge too far. That is a bridge too far for Jonah. Jonah looks at that. He's called to serve in this incredibly difficult situation. He's called to go incredibly far away from his home country, walk right into the biggest city of their sworn enemy, preach against the sins of these people, and tell them that they are wicked sinners who have offended God, all while knowing that God could forgive them if they repented. That is a difficult mission. Perhaps God is calling you to serve in a situation that is also difficult. Maybe he's asking you to witness to somebody you think does not really deserve to hear and receive the gospel of grace. They don't really belong in the church. Or you might be asked to serve people who are unpleasant and abrasive. Maybe God's calling you out of your comfort zone to serve and you really would rather not but we shouldn't be agitated when God calls us to serve in difficult situations. Because as it says in Isaiah 41, He is with us. He is our God still. And He helps us and upholds us with His righteous right hand. God was not sending Jonah into a situation and waving from afar. He says, good luck if you ever get back. God says, I'm going with you. I'll be with you every step of the way. It won't be hard because I am with you. And that's what we need to remember when God asks us to serve. 
But Jonah is incredibly agitated at this point. By verse 3, he hits his personal breaking point and he makes a decision here. The very first activity we see from Jonah, the very first action we see from him is that he is going to run as far and as fast in the opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. Now, imagine you've never read the book of Jonah before. And I know that's really hard because this is usually, as we've talked about, the very first prophetic book we've ever encountered in our life. But imagine you've read all the other prophetic books, and then you come to Jonah. And you've read all these other books about prophets who are faithful to carrying out the mission of God, even in hard times and in hard situations. And then you get to this verse in verse 3, and where God says, Jonah, I want you to go and do this mission. And Jonah goes, no, and I'm going that way. This is a twist. This is a shock. It should still, like if we come at it fresh, realize that this is a prophet of the Lord who looks at God and says, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to. And he doesn't just sulk at home. He boards a ship and he goes as fast as possible. Jonah hears what God is asking him to do and he thinks, it's just too much. It's just too hard. I can't do it. What's well, a common assumption here that we think Jonah is foolishly trying to get away from God. That he thinks if he can flee far enough, he can flee fast enough, he'll somehow get outside of God's radar bubble and he'll be safe. But don't forget, this is a prophet of God who knows God's character. He knows full well the truth of Psalm 139 that says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Uh, we can't assume that Jonah thinks that he can just get away from God. He can't. What Jonah is more likely doing in this situation, what's going through his mind, is he's thinking, I don't want to be part of this mission. So if I get away from the country, God will call one of the other prophets because usually there are multiple prophets at any given time in the country, God will use one of them and send them over to Nineveh. Jonah knows God is a sovereign God. God's will will be done. Nineveh will get preached to no matter what. Jonah just doesn't want to be a part of it. So Jonah's trying to take himself out of the equation. And if I was Jonah's boss, I would say, fine. You know, I'll, I'll, I will pick one of these other guys. It's, as we'll see, it's not what God does. Jonah's actions really remind me, I don't know if you watch a lot of superhero movies, but there's a weird trend that happens usually in every second superhero movie, which is a superhero will get so overburdened with the responsibilities of fighting and, and all the weariness of keeping up with this mission that at one point they will decide Superman will hang up his cape, Spider-Man will throw his mask into the garbage can. They'll give up. And there'll be this moment in the second movie where a superhero goes, it's just too much. This mission is just too much. I've had it. I'm just going back to the easy life I used to have. Of course, they come back. But I think we can all relate with that. I think we can all relate with Jonah here. We may be really judgmental about what Jonah does, his very first action in defying God. But when is that not us at some point in our life? When is that not us? When God says, I want you to do this, and it's really hard, it's really uncomfortable, it goes against everything you like, and you go, no, no, God, I'm going to, no, it's just too much. 
and we call out, God, why don't you just pick somebody else? If you're a sovereign God, you'll get it done no matter what. Just don't use me for this. Well, he could pick somebody else no matter what his will will prevail. But when God chooses you out of his good wisdom and his good purpose, who are you to turn around and tell God you picked the wrong guy? Who am I to tell him that? I'm nobody. I can't tell him that. And so, what am I going to say? I'm not up to the task. It's just a little bit too disagreeable for me in the moment. But God, come back to me in six months and maybe I'll be in a better spot. I can't tell him that. So I'm left with the same two choices Jonah had. I can either flee away from God when he calls me to serve, or I can just go and serve obediently. One is a sin, and one glorifies God and grows his kingdom. We can learn through Jonah by the way we react in our lives. May we submit our hands, our feet, and our heart to our Savior this week. I know sometimes he asks us to do incredibly difficult things. He asks us to witness to people, and we're not comfortable with that. He asks us to forgive, and we don't want to. He asks us to serve when it requires sacrifice on our parts. But we have this choice to flee or to serve. Let's pray that we make that right choice this week. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, Jonah, at the end of the day, he's one of us. He's a sinful man. And Lord, as we just said, there's not one of us who has not failed you at some point and run away from your mission that you've given us. But Lord, I pray that as we grow as Christians, as we grow in your word, as we grow in the faith, as we see that you are faithful to us, to be with us, to uphold us, to go with us, that, Lord, we may be saying yes more and more often, that we may serve with a humble, obedient heart that won't be about us and our comfort or our ego, but, Lord, it will be always about you, always about how great a God you are. Now, we may not understand why you want us to serve in a way, but that doesn't mean, Lord, we shouldn't do it. Pray, Lord, I pray that we as a church would say yes to you, Lord, that we would flee towards you, that we would just be ready for the next thing you want us to do. Prepare our hearts this week, Lord, in your name. Amen.